At noon today, more than 40 of the nation's top constitutional law scholars released an open letter to President-elect Donald Trump. It outlines seven areas where Trump's statements and actions have caused them great concern about his commitment to our constitutional system, from the First Amendment to the rights of religious minorities. The letter also calls on Trump to withdraw the nominations of Senator Jeff Sessions as U.S. Attorney General and Michael Flynn as National Security Advisor. Joining us is Neil Siegel, professor of law and political science at Duke Law School, one of the writers of this letter. Neil, Trump does not seem to be taking advice, and you expressed doubt in the last paragraph of your letter that he will take his constitutional oath seriously. So what do you hope to accomplish with this letter? Well, the the first hope, which you've already um, spoken to, is that Uh, The president-elect or uh, those around him as close as advisors uh, will take a close look at the letter and seriously and soberly consider it. Um, But I think uh, that's not the only reason uh, to have done it. And the more, uh, uh, I think another important reason and a more likely consequence is to um, uh, model uh, uh, an important form of resistance. I think a lot of people are struggling with how to respond uh, to uh, truly extraordinary and disturbing conduct by the president-elect, uh, should one um, see what happens and hope for the best and extend an olive branch, uh, should one uh, resist more formally, and I think this, uh, more forcefully, and I think this is modeling uh, a very strong form of resistance uh, that, uh, that we hope uh, various institutions in society that have developed uh, slowly uh, over time uh, to push back against uh, power when it's being exercised unlawfully or or profoundly unwisely. I'm talking about um, the media, for example. It's going to be important for the media not to normalize or legitimate uh, attacks on the constitutional system to understand the difference between neutrality and objectivity. I'm talking about educational institutions, religious institutions, legal institutions, our courts, uh, 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 which uh, um, make, make good uh, on our nation's commitment to uh, the rule of law, and which Neil, requires Neil, judicial independence. Neil, um, and so I think that... Seen, go ahead. Yeah. Well, have, have you, I wonder if you've seen anything since Donald Trump has been elected that gives you hope about how he might treat the Constitution or the rule of law. Um, at least some parts of your letter, including you, you mentioned uh, Jeff Sessions, his choice for attorney general, uh, sort of suggests that you see him as doubling down on the types of uh, the kind of conduct that you're worried about. Yeah, I mean... Hope is not the kind. I mean, I wouldn't say I, I've seen conduct that gives me hope. Given um, when he's talking, when when he's still, I think, uh, undermining uh, a free uh, a free press and um, sending tweets talking about stripping people of citizenship or um, putting them in jail for burning the American flag. Um, so I, I'm not really seeing much in the way of hope. I think he has um, backed off of a few of his most disturbing statements or what appeared to be promises during the campaign, like putting his political opponent in jail uh, if he was uh, elected. He had uh, really robustly embraced torture, which raises both constitutional problems and problems under international law. And then he had what appears to be a single conversation with General Mattis, and he said, maybe maybe it's not as effective or as wise as I had thought. So I, I uh, I wouldn't call it hopeful. I, I did see a few ways in which he's backed off some of his most uh, uh, or more extreme statements, but then you know we see a disinterest. Uh, there, are, there, are, 
The letter illustrates concerns, but doesn't exhaust them, right? So this disinterest in intelligence briefings and, and what he may do in the name of national security raises concerns. Uh, the multitude of financial conflicts of interest, which uh, some of which raise constitutional concerns, but all of which raise uh, serious concerns about whether uh, he's going to be able to uh, simply do what he thinks is best for the country as opposed to best for his business. Neil, let's talk about one of uh, the concerns you raised. And he ran on overturning Roe v. Wade, and his list of Supreme right. Court nominees reflects that. Uh, you ask him to reconsider that. In light of the likelihood that he will not reconsider that, is there anything that anyone can do about that? Well, I think it's... Um I think what what those who uh, uh, those who who disagree with, with with his with his stated promise, which I agree he's gonna he's gonna try and make good on. I think they could hold him to count to uh, to at least be uh, completely um, aware of uh, candid about to level with the American people about what the consequences are. So the letter doesn't simply say you want to overrule Roe, don't do it. Uh, when he was asked what the consequences for women would be, he said they would simply have to go to another state. It would be sent back to the states. And, you know, that, that shows a, a disturbing lack of awareness of or an insensitivity to the reality that for many women in our country, that's simply not possible. It's not possible economically uh, in terms of their family and work situation. And I think it also ignores the fact that there have been many efforts, not just at the state level, but at the federal level, to roll back protections of women's reproductive rights. And unless he means to be uh, suggesting that he's going to veto any federal law that would restrict abortion. It's, it's not just insensitive. It's also um, disingenuous to say that the issue will be handled at the, at the state level. So I don't think it's simply about will your nominees vote to overrule Roe. It's uh, are you going to be fully aware of the consequences and, and candid with the American people about um, um, where and how this issue will be resolved if, 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 if the Supreme Court is no longer going to be in the business of protecting women's rights. Neil, Neil, I look at your list of signatories to, to this letter, and I don't, don't know all of them, but the ones I do know uh, I tend to think of as being relatively liberal. Was there an effort to bring on uh, more conservative legal scholars to, to join this effort? You know, there was not. Uh, I think the sense of, of the group is that we wanted to do something uh, as a group initially. We certainly um, would, would very much appreciate uh, the support of legal conservatives. There were a group of legal conservatives, uh, originalists, who are committed to the original understanding of the Constitution, who uh, wrote a letter with some similar themes, although not all the same, uh, uh, opposing Trump uh, during the election because they saw him as a threat to the constitutional system. And the letter does call upon legal conservatives who are committed to basic constitutional values to, to join us in speaking out. Uh, but the, uh, uh, the instinct of the group was... Uh, to say something for ourselves, um, which is not going to be the last we have to say about it, at least as an initial matter, before we uh, think about working uh, with others of more diverse ideological commitments, who uh, many of whom uh, share at least like, some, if not all, of our concerns. Neil, about a minute left here. So you have seven different areas. Is there one that is of particular concern? Well, there are seven areas listed in the letter. Uh, there are a number of others which I've mentioned so far, and we could also talk about uh, his response to the CIA report, uh, 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 the CIA finding that Russia interfered in the election and his attack on the, the CIA without any kind of 
evidence or analysis. Um, so again, I think these these examples in the letter are are illustrations, uh, but but stuff is happening in real time that just add to the concerns. You know, if I had to, uh, I would I would prefer not to pick one, um, but if I you know if I had to, I think we uh, we listed free speech and a free press first for a reason, uh, because if we if the media uh, is not able to fully and fairly discharge its responsibilities out of fear that the administration is going to deny it access to the White House or not inform it of where the president is, um, I think that's uh, that's absolutely fundamental uh, that 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 this uh, our next president, um, like his predecessors in both political parties, um, uh, ensure that the press is able to to do its job to report and opine candidly on his activities without fear of reprisal. We will have to leave it at that. If you want to read the full letter, you can go to the American Constitutional Society website. Thank you, Neil Siegel, professor of law and political science at Duke Law School, for joining us here on Bloomberg Law. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, in an unusual opinion, the Sixth Circuit says that finding marijuana residue and packaging in trash doesn't justify searching a home for drugs. I'm June Grosso with Greg Storr. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg.